Kentucky pulled out a win on Tuesday night over LSU, but Big Blue Nation is big, big mad about how things have been going in Lexington lately. Are we really at the point of having a legitimate conversation about John Calipari's job security? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, welcome into the Locked on College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there. I'm your host today, Isaac Shade. Joining me off the top here is the host of Locked on Kentucky, Mr. Lance Daw. We want to thank you for making this your first listen or watch every single day. Don't forget, we're free and available anywhere you get podcasts. Coming up later on today's show, North Carolina has received two top 30 commits in the class of 24 in the past week, vaulting them to the number one class currently. We will unpack both of those guys with Jason Jordan, our director of college basketball recruiting. But before we get to that, Lance, whoo, Kentucky survives on Tuesday night. I, they shouldn't have had to survive, but they did. 74-71 over LSU in Rupp, a place that I've been just once, but it was to see Taylor Swift. Oh, <laughs> it's not it's not wrong i'm actually being very serious oh, i respect <laughs> it it was a gift for my wife's birthday one year despite the win there's been more talk from big blue nation than i ever remember about coach cow's place in lexington bigger than the the start to this year it's been building let me just run through a couple quick numbers and then i just want to see where you're at with it what you're hearing and where we go from here 2021, the year after COVID canceled everything, obviously kind of a miserable year for the Wildcats, 9 and 16, 8 and 9 in the SEC. Last season, 26 and 7, 14 and 4, a very solid year, if unspectacular by Kentucky standards, but obviously the loss to St. Peter's taints things, and they didn't win the SEC regular season or conference title. This year, off to a 10 and 4 start, 1 and 1 in the SEC remains to be seen what will happen in terms of conference championships and things like that. The last final four was 2015, the last and only national championship under John Calipari. It's 2012. Notably haven't won an NCAA tournament game since the quote unquote lifetime 10 year contract was announced. And it certainly doesn't help that uh, it used the UCLA job to get that leverage. And now UCLA has done really well under Mick Cronin with yikes, Johnny Juzang leading the way. All that to say, the fan base, Lance, is understandably frustrated. The question becomes, do the decision makers feel the same way as the fan base? I think it's an interesting time to be a Kentucky fan right now because, Isaac, I started doing this show a little bit over a year ago, and I thought when in March, whenever the loss to St. Peter's came, that this would kind of be water under the bridge, right? Eventually, things would start to kind of shape up. Things would return to form. I was very excited about this upcoming season, and I did not expect the collapse I think we've seen in this early season in big games to actually happen. We heard a lot of talk this offseason about change, about adjustments, about modernizing certain things on the floor, and we just haven't seen that. And so it's quickly started to shift from the the tone in the fan base from my perspective, from, oh, maybe it's a small minority to, okay, now 
almost everyone is pointing out the flaws that are happening right now, both on and off the court for Kentucky. A big point of contention earlier this offseason was recruiting, and I was like, I think that's going to eventually come around. Kentucky has proven that they can do that. Coach Cal obviously went out and signed one of the best classes, if not the best class in next year's uh, upcoming recruiting cycle. I think right now, based on what we've heard from the fan base, there are legitimate frustrations and there are legitimate concern. Now, does that mean that there is legitimate frustration and concern from the people in power? I think that's another question with a different answer. Right now, Kentucky is locked in seemingly to a lifetime contract, so to speak, with John Calipari. And you and I were talking just a little bit before we went on air. It feels like if Kentucky were to go that route, it would not necessarily be the wisest thing considering (laughs) how much money they would have to pay to get rid of a national title winning coach. Now, something I will say here quickly, Isaac, it has been a decade since he has won that national title. And on top of that, what is Kentucky, if not a team that consistently competes for national titles? They right. haven't won an NCAA tournament game, like you mentioned, in quite some time. I mean, at some point, you have to start asking asking the question, when do things change? Yeah, yeah I mean, that's a great question. And I think you're right. Like, I, I did the math a little bit <laughs> ago. And if my, if my number crunching is correct, if Kentucky was to buy out John Calipari after this season, they would owe him... million dollars still. I mean, it's just dumb. And as you said, this recruiting class coming in is ballers. They are ballers. Not to mention who knows what Kentucky will do in the transfer portal as they've continued to do. And so it just seems like it doesn't make any sense to, to really begin to have that conversation. But man, the I don't think we're at a tipping point. As you said, I I think the answer is different from the decision makers than it is the fan base. But the fan base is a lot of those people with a lot of those dollars that you would need if you were going to make any changes. So uh, you you don't want to head in a different direction than you're heading right now. That is certainly for sure. And something I'll say right now, as far as the short term goes, I mean, I think it's very valid, the frustrations that we're seeing. I mean, obviously, with the issues with the offense and the half court, we've seen a lot of struggles so far this year with Kentucky and crunch time, just not really knowing what to do. I mean, you talked about that close win over LSU last night. I mean, just a brutal game there at the very end where you saw several possessions where Kentucky just literally did not have any movement. Had Jacob Toppin not made that corner three, (laughs) we could be talking about a loss and we could be continuing to talk about a directionless Kentucky that doesn't really seem to have a lot of confidence in itself. So the short term, I absolutely understand the frustration and I'm right there with the front fan base. If you've been listening to my podcast for any sort of amount of time over the past couple of months, I've been right there. Now, again, I want to reiterate, it does not mean a coaching change has to happen at this moment, right? Things can be adjusted. And I honestly do think when you go back and watch that LSU game, you did see maybe Kentucky starting to maybe change some things and head in the right direction. I agree up to the point of, you know, when things kind of fell apart in the last couple minutes, I think they had built a 10 point lead. And, and uh, I believe the commentators even said, I can't even remember who it was now, but even said to me, this is the best I've seen Kentucky other than non-conference by games and other than Louisville. Uh, And, and if that's so like you're moving in the right direction. And I would tend to agree with that. Like there was cohesion, things looked good. Maybe we're getting, you know, Oscar Sheboy back to full form now, you know, all of these kind of things. Uh, It was a good night for severe Wheeler uh, shooting wise and things like that. If he can do that, watch out folks. Here we go. Now, Lance, just to, so that we've done it, if and when we get to the point of saying 
it's time John Calipari is deciding to walk away or they've come up with and backed up a truck with the world's stupidest amount of money, who would be some of those people we would begin to look at? Now, again, we're just uh, like we're just putting out a hypothetical here. Like we like there, this could be either two years from now or it could be whenever Cal finally decides to hang it up a decade from now. We don't know how much longer John Calipari is going to be here, but Isaac, to kind of humor the conversation, I think there are two <laughs> names that you have heard more than any others out there, and that would be Nate Oates, and that would be Jay Wright. Now, whether or not Jay Wright is interested in coming out of retirement to coach it for the Wildcats, I don't think that's reality there, but Nate Oates is somebody that I personally would be very excited about uh, as Kentucky's new head coach because he hits the two things you want. He's a good recruiter. And he's an X's and O's guy. You look at Alabama and the way they play the five out. I mean, that's the direction the game is headed over the past half decade. And it's what thrives. And right now, Alabama is the cream of the crop in the SEC. They've got some really talented five-star freshmen that are producing. uh, Guys like Brandon Miller. I mean, I think that he would be, as far as finding somebody to maybe replace and sustain the success that Cal had, I think he would definitely be a solid potential option outside of that, Isaac. I mean, this was a conversation that I had uh, quite a bit on my show earlier this summer is that uh, with some of the fans that were really upset, I'm like, guys, who is going to replace John Calipari? I mean, is there a play, is there a coach out there right now that fans and boosters and the athletic department collectively would be comfortable with? with. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's got to be okay with this next decision. It's got to be somebody that is worth their salt. And so I just don't know if there are a whole lot of names out there in college basketball right now that would leave their current job to go for to Kentucky. But I will say this, I have no idea if he's interested in the job or not, but Nate Oates, I think just looking at his resume and looking at what he's doing with the Crimson Tide right now, he would be a really, really good hire. I think a lot of people would be happy with him. You know, it's funny. I hadn't even heard you have those conversations. He's literally the name on my notes at the top of my list. I love Nate Oates, and I think he would be massive. I think it would make sense uh, to at least think about Mark Pope, you know, bringing somebody back home. Sure. Um, And then you you can't not make a call to guys like Scott Drew and Mark Few because it's the same thing that the uh, North Carolina went through after Roy Williams retired. you got to make those dudes tell you no. Um, who are at the highest level of the sport. And so a really interesting conversation, one that, as you've kind of alluded to, not outright said, but I'll say it, is premature, I think, in both of our estimations. I think for me that John Calipari, even though thing, we're, we're not at the top or the height of Kentucky um, success right now that, that the Wildcats and Big Blue Nation are used to seeing, but I believe that he has earned the right to walk away on his own terms and his contract says as much, quite frankly. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. And premature, I definitely think is a good word for it. But again, just want to reiterate, look, there are several guys right now that I don't think would walk away from their job. But I think to your point, Isaac, you can't just leave them alone. You definitely have to go and reach out to them. So if Kentucky does choose to move on, I would, I would hope that the fan base would understand, regardless of who the hire is, that it would be made in the best interest of the program's future specifically. And it would the goal would be to get back to winning national titles. And so I certainly hope that they make that decision if they do choose to walk away from Calipari or they force Calipari to resign, essentially. I hope that they're not making that decision lightly. I think it's very important that Kentucky times this right if they ever do it in the future. And I hope that the decisions, the poll process is made very carefully. Yes, absolutely. Well, we got 
this year and then six more years left on this lifetime contract. So we will continue to monitor it. But folks, I, I don't think we're anywhere near anything drastic happening happening in Lexington. Well, North Carolina got commitments from Elliot Cadeau and James Brown. Yes, that is his name. Coming up, we're going to talk with Jason Jordan about both of these men and what it means for North Carolina's 2024 recruiting class. But before we do that, this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From pro football to college bowl season to basketball, they've got it all. Make sure to check out the line for tomorrow night's Big 12 clash between TCU and Baylor. They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your sports betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college basketball recruiting sponsor across the Locked On Network. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free right now at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. Jason Jordan, great to have you on the show here in the new year. And what we got to talk about is the North Carolina Tar Heels have the early lead in the class of 2024. I know we're still 18 months out or whatever it is, but right now the Tar Heels have three commitments and just secured two top 30 commitments within the past week to vault themselves into the number one spot in this recruiting cycle, getting true point guard Elliot Cadeau out of New Jersey, who plays in Branson, Missouri, and getting James Brown, no uh, song jokes, please, sir, today, um, from the Chicago area. And so I want to unpack these guys one at a time. Let's start with Elliot Cadeau, a true point guard, the likes of which North Carolina has probably not seen since Kendall Marshall was in Chapel Hill. Yeah, um, Elliot is definitely the best passer in the 24 class. Um, and like Kendall, uh, one of the best playmakers for sure. Uh, probably definitely the best passer, one of the best playmakers, if not the best playmaker. But the thing that he has that Kendall didn't have was that athleticism. He has a 45 inch vertical, um, you know? So, you know, if you're not showing on that high screen, uh, if you're not showing defensively, then it's going to be sports center top 10. <laughs> you know, so he's shown that multiple times, um, but just a high IQ guy, a pass first guy. I talked about this um, a couple of times before we did a story on him a few months back. And uh, he told me about how his foundation is to be pass first. Like he didn't even learn how to score when he was uh, in middle school, starting to play and younger. And um, he was averaging like 11 assists a game. And he thought, you know, <laughs> and then his parents, that his people were like, yeah, man, you got to you got to score too. He'd take like two shots a game, maybe one or two shots a game. Would never shoot um, because he was like, man, passing is great. And so, you know, that's his foundation. He had to join a league, a less talent, his words, less talented league, like in the uh, junior high era uh, to just work on straight scoring. Right. And so obviously that has now caught up because he can obviously score it really well, but um, just a guy shifty, athletic, um, high IQ makes the the best pass. Sees plays two to three plays ahead. Um, always got the head on a swivel, but just always makes the right basketball play. And 
he's capable of the wild play as well. So huge, huge, huge gift for Hubert Davis for sure. Man, that's so – and Jason, one of the things uh, – you, I mean, you look at his measurables, 6'1", 165. Is there any concern about being a little bit undersized? You think about North Carolina currently and R.J. Davis sometimes, you know, some of those defensive assignments uh, can be a little difficult, or does that athleticism and vertical make up for it? Yeah, I think that's – that. I mean, he, he's six feet. But if you look at him – watch, look at him stand beside Caleb Love. Like, they're not – like – you can just look at them, stand beside each other, and say, oh, "How does this help Caleb?" Not, not, not at all. Because you're still on an island if I'm in front of you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, still absolutely. Lie. Not to single out Caleb, but um, yeah, because he's so aggressive, because he's such a um, a physical downhill guard who not just you know most of those guys are looking to score, but he's a guy who's looking to get pieces of the paint and pass or and score um, because of his physicality and his athleticism, I don't think it makes a difference. Like, I think he'll be very, very um, uh, productive hmm. at that position. The height, size, that's not going to hold him. It hasn't held him back with the top players in the country because he's dominated them, so – I think that's what we need to know, and that's yeah. what matters ultimately when he steps on the yeah. floor in – Chapel Hill. Now, what, um, Jason, when, when a player of this caliber commits this early in a cycle, what does it signal to other players in the class of 24? Like, hey, I see a true playmaking point guard. I want to go be part of that. Um, can, can other uh, players around the, the country point to that as something that might help influence their decision making? Yeah, it makes North Carolina, who doesn't need any help, looking better. <laughs> it makes them <laughs> makes them look a lot better. It makes them look like the shiny new toy. Um, and so uh, it's one thing to say, I mean, I think we're really, and coaches do this, man, I'm telling you, I think we're really close with Elliot Cadeau. And if we <laughs> just get, and it's one thing to say that. And they're like, yeah, but he ain't committed. You know, and I heard he's a Texas Tech fan growing up, as he was. Um, so <clears throat> it's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to say, um, Elliot, Texas kid, you know, and, and help us with that. You know, the dog, I'm not even gonna tell you know what we got, but then here's Elliot. Like, oh, how do you get my number? Wow, Elliot Cadeau, you know, one and Mr. One and Done, more than likely <laughs> wants me to come play with him. Yeah, that matters to a 16, 17 year old. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, um, that's a huge boost for North Carolina at that specific position because it's the most important position on the floor. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that we've heard about potential with Elliot is that he might reclassify to the class of 23. He is already 18 years old, for those who are unaware. And so what, what are the uh, things that come into play, Jason, with North Carolina and their roster in terms of Cadeau's decision to either reclass to 23 or to stay in 24? I think ultimately, at the end of the day, it comes down to Caleb Love. Um, if he's there, Ellie will not be. I think if he's gone, and I think he will be gone, um, I think Elliot will go ahead and take his chances at that spot. Now, I say take his chances because they have, <laughs> <laughs> they're still going to have R. I think RJ Davis will still be there. Okay. Um, obviously, Seth Trimble will still be there. Those are two talented guys. Then there's DeMarco Dunn. Um, but I think he's going to be more in a backup role. Um, but I think I think Elliot would take his chances if Caleb is not there, um, because I think it's a good thing to have. But then you, you, to your point, I mean, that would mean Simeon Wilcher. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you got to contend with that. Um, now, he's not running the point. He can. But right. I don't think he will. No, be, that would be Kido's role. All yep. these guys yep. there. 
Yeah. Um, but I think they're probably going to have to run it. if that happens. And I think it's more likely that it will than it won't. Interesting. Okay. Uh, if that happens, they're probably going to have to run a three guard lineup. Um, just to, I mean, it, Line it's a minute. Yeah, you got to get all yeah. right, but you, they're going to have to get on the floor, um, often early. And if you don't, um, he's going to have to get real creative with those, uh, substitutions and minutes yeah but um it's a good problem yeah it seems like Cuber davis might need to go spend some time in waco texas this summer and learn a few <laughs> things from scott yeah Zuma. yeah 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 scott will tell them all he needs to <laughs> now if if i'm a fan of one of these if i'm tuning in and i'm a kansas fan texas tech texas louisville syracuse who didn't get elliot cadeau where do i turn next what what do i look for now that elliot cadeau is off the board in my class of 24 well i mean you know they have different irons in the fire uh, you know, and so, and then this isn't, you know, coach, this isn't anything new to coach. Right, I mean, absolutely. Texas Tech was strong with Elliott. So I think they would probably be like, oh, you know, I, I, but I, at the end, I think it was shifting. It was trending away. Right. Um, so, but, you know, they have multiple offers out there. Um, and, you know, you really just turn your, it, it, it just, it sounds wild because you've been on this kid for a year. But they really do just turn the page. Um, like I talked to a coach who didn't get a kid. This was in the last month, and he was just like, "I said, well, you know, how you, they were close. How you feeling about that?" And he's like, "Oh man, I, you know, we we had a another call, a Zoom call today with this other kid, and you know, we feel strongly about that. You know, they don't. Uh, it's not where it used to be." Coaches would like, and they do. Don't get me wrong; they're still human. They still catch feelings here and there. Right. Right. It's not like that to the degree that it used to be. It's usually because now it really it's like it's more a business than it's. It's literally been. a business now. It, yeah. yeah, like it, it really <laughs> is. So, and I've even had coaches tell me, "Hey man, I can't be mad at them. You know, I can't be mad at them. And you know, you, I know they got that this deal with this company, and you know, they're um they're collectively we can't compete with that collect. You yeah. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So um yeah, coaches turn the page pretty quickly. Okay. Love to see that. Now, as we think about these North Carolina Tar Heels, who, as we've said, currently have the number one class in 24, thanks in part to Elliot Cadeau, but thanks also to another commit who will be the very happy recipient of a lot of Elliot Cadeau passes, who committed to North Carolina right at the beginning of the new year, just less than a week after Cadeau, Mr. James Brown out of Chicago. He is a 6'9", 210 forward plays at St. Rita in the Chicago area. Uh, Jason, as, as we look at this guy, North Carolina's got their backcourt guy. Now they've got a frontcourt guy. What are we looking at with Jason, uh, with, excuse me, with James Brown for the North Carolina Tar Heels? Well, just a highly effective, highly efficient, um, center, right? So a guy who definitely, um, uh, is excited about his role. Doesn't only accept his role, excited about his role stays. And the role is to stay in the paint. <laughs> and uh, be athletic and high energy, which is always if you're at six nine with his length, if you are excited about being uh, athletic, high energy, that's really that's going to translate into production. Just to make it simple, because I hate when people do all the technical stuff. Yeah. <laughs> because he's a guy you're not going to point to to say, "Oh man, he does it like he uh, he knocks down Steph Curry threes, or you know, he he doesn't have a specific thing that. He does that is just dominant. He does a lot of things really well. And one of the things that he does, the thing that he does the best is to bring his motor every time on both ends of the floor. And that turns into production for him. He played with Mean Streets this summer. 
averaged 11 and six. I think he shot like 60, 65 from the field. So um, highly efficient, great hands, um, rim runner, guy who can start the break, but he's not a guy who is out there um, trying to be Kevin Garnett. I mean, <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Garnett too, but uh, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, yeah. <laughs> my age. Kevin Durant, um, you know, he, he stays within himself and in himself is to be in the paint. Um, impacting the game on both ends of the floor. And um, that excites him. That excites him. And I think that's great. And unfortunately, that's rare, but <laughs> but that excites him. And I think that is going to translate. With a guy like Elliot Cadeau, oh, man, it's it's going to be um, it's going to be Lob City. And uh, he'll be, to your point, he'll be the recipient of a lot of great passes because Elliot's a pass-first guy. And I think, to your point, obviously that impacted James to see Elliot, the best pass in the class of 2024. It's like, oh, they got Elliot. Yeah, I'm ready. I mean, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Wrap that up. Now, I think as you've alluded to with the uh, he's not Kevin Durant thing, we're not going to call him a point forward. But um, with James Brown, he does have um, some ball handling skills, the ability to get out and run and transition, give it, get it back, dunk. How, like, obviously with the the great backcourt players that North Carolina has, he, like he's going to be told, James, you run to the front of the rim and you wait, <laughs> right? Like, um, but how helpful is it to have somebody who can handle the ball a little bit and transition if necessary as a six nine big? Oh, it's huge, and he'll he'll reap a lot of uh, the benefits of just being agile and just being a rim runner. Mm. You know, uh, with that lineup, let's say potentially the lineup is R.J. Davis, Elliot Cadeau. Um, and Simeon, and Simeon, geez, and Simeon Wiltshire, or Seth Trimble, who, you know, I'm very, I'm very much a fan of. Um, yeah, that's going to produce um, a high-octane offense where um, there's going to be a lot of transition. Have we ever heard about that in North Carolina? <laughs> that's but, um, you know, it'll be like old-school North Carolina and new-school because they, they still do that now. But, um, you know, He'll he'll be having that skill set will absolutely um, make him more productive in mm. that line that specific lineup. Yeah, yeah, and it'll make the team more productive. Um, and so you know, but again, he he's not a guy who's he can do that. But you know, you watch him play in a game; he's not out there on the wing in the perimeter. Right. He's down there getting you know. Come meet me in the paint. Let's go to work. Yeah. He communes there. One of the other things that's important about James Brown's game is his ambidexterity. And I, I mean, so many of these kids, it's like, uh, you know, I'm working on that left. We'll get there. But with Brown, it seems like it, it is something that is a legitimate part of his game. How difficult is it um, or how much more difficult is it for a post to def- a post player to defend someone who's legitimately able to finish well with either hand? Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it's, I've seen, like, I've seen uh, him frustrate opposing teams in the summer (laughs) um, because he's, he's really just as good with both hands. So it's like, I've seen, like, I remember a game where the, I don't even remember who the kid was, but they were playing in, I think it might have been in, was it in Indy or something like that? But like, I remember the kid being like, you know, like, like, what do you want me to do? You know, like, as the coach is on him, like, front him, you know, get behind him. And it's like, oh, he's doing finishing with both. And he, like, on uh, 
in the on the in the span of four minutes, he he finished with the left and the right on you know short jump hooks. Um, and the kid, he was just frustrating the other kid, and the, the opposing coach was just going crazy. Right? Yeah. And so um, that's just like a microcosm of you know what he's capable. And yeah, it it is complete. It is frustrating to have to d- contend with a guy who can finish with both hands. Um, and that is something that is going to be a superpower for him as he continues to develop it. Okay, we'll keep an eye on that. And then, Jason, I just want to finish by asking about um, the actual recruitment itself, because Chicagoland is not an area that the North Carolina Tar Heels are yeah. typically known to go into and pull out of. So in this in this one, they're going up against the likes of Notre Dame and Michigan State and, and Illinois. What, what are a couple of the main reasons why uh, Chapel Hill is a – um, desirable place for James Brown to play his college career. Well, I think it, it does, you know, a lot of it has to do with personnel and who's going to be there when he's there and then opportunity. You know, I think he feels like it's a, when he gets there, it'll be a you know time for him to step right in and be able to produce and do what he does right away. And then at the end of the day, don't get it twisted. You know, it's North Carolina. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who needs to hear that. But, you know, don't, don't, don't be confused. You know, it, I can tell you, I talk to these top 10 kids all the time. And, you know, it's while they, most of them tend to be Hollywood. And I don't mean that as a knock. It's just it's the nature of the beast. Sure. Um, they are always very excited about a Hubert Davis text, you know. And so when you ask them if they haven't gotten the offer from North Carolina, let's just use North Carolina. Um, it's almost like, I really want that North Carolina offer. Like, I, you know, I, I want you know, I want right first right of refusal, you know, or <laughs> if I, if I don't, I want the option because I want to go on that visit, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, I don't, you know, with, you know, North Carolina hasn't gotten like three top 10 players and as like other blue bloods, but don't be confused. Like, and again, we say it comes in cycles, you know, Duke's been on a long cycle. Kentucky's always, they've been on cycles, but this, I mean, they're number one right now, and they, they got players that, you know, Elliot Cadeau is going to be – he's always going to be, you know, top five, top eight, right? But, you know, James is going to continue to rise, so, you know, he could be in the top 15, yeah. top yeah. 10, yeah. Point. With the logical progression. Yep. So, um, yeah. you know, it could be their cycle. They, yeah. I mean, right now they're number one, and, you know, that's not going to change. I think they will end up having two – Top fifteen to twenty players. When it's all so, said and done, interesting. When it's all said and done, so yeah. it could be their cycle. Time will tell. But, <clears throat> sure, um, it's always a good indicator when you're number one in the class. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a it's not a bad thing to have for not sure. Terrible. Yeah. Well, Jason Jordan, thank you as always for joining us here on Locked on College Basketball to unpack these two recent top 30 commits to North Carolina. Folks, make sure you're always dialed in to when we have our guy Jason Jordan on. He always brings great stuff about the recruiting game and what's going on all around the nation in college basketball recruiting. Jason, thanks as always for joining us. Absolutely. That's it for today's episode of Locked on College Basketball. Thanks so much for joining us. Make sure to make your next listen Locked on Sports today. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and of course, the take of the day. It's available on Odyssey YouTube and anywhere else you get podcasts. Locked on Sports today. Folks, please make sure to subscribe to the show, like, 
and comment on it. Coming up tomorrow, our guy Andy Patton will be back, as will Leaf Tuline, who's always with us on Thursdays, unpacking a little bit of the news of potential March Madness expansion. Hope you have a great day. Can't wait to talk to you tomorrow. But until then, peace.